0: The reporter reached out to the other big four firms and asked for comment. And EY trolled KPMG and said, quote, EY is a culture where people understand the importance of submitting (laughs) timesheets. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver.
1: And I'm David Leary.
0: And this week, the big four in the news, specifically KPMG, is catching a lot of flack.
1: I guess. It's like self-inflicted flack, right? If that's the way to think of it.
0: Yeah. Well, this is specifically KPMG in the in the UK. They have not had a good year ever since the collapse of Carillion, who they were ostensibly auditing. And then suddenly that company just went out of business without any notice. People are kind of pissed about that. And they just haven't had a good year. I guess. I guess the reporters have been piling on. And the story at the end of the year doesn't really make them come off very good. David, do you want to Talk a little bit about the details here. What's this with timesheets?
1: I think this just came out yesterday. So on December 20th. So this, uh, I saw it first thing in the morning, December 20th, it was in the Guardian. The title of the article is KPMG to fine staff 100 pounds for late timesheets. And needless to say, like on social media, I've never seen an article go so hot so quick. It might be the article of the year and people just laying into them about the stupidest, this is the dumbest thing anybody's ever seen. It almost speaks for itself. It's pretty shocking that, you know, we're in 2018 and, and this is still happening.
0: There's, there's so many layers to this, right? Which is, uh, number one, it's a real dick move to fine your own staff for being late with their timesheets. Like, why not incentivize them to be on time with their timesheets? Why do you have to fine them for being late? And then there's just the fact that timesheets are stupid. I could never go work for a place where I have to fill out a timesheet ever again. I can't do it.
1: The accounting firm says penalties will come out of employees' bonuses. So that means like all year, like you're working away, you're turning some in late here and there, and then you get your bonus, and it just has this dock you weren't expecting. Yeah. And uh, a
0: fun, fun fun, bit in the article is the reporter reached out to the other big four firms and asked for comment, and EY trolled KPMG and said, quote, EY is a culture where people understand the importance of submitting timesheets. <laughs> In the event that people do not submit their timesheets, EY takes steps to reinforce its policy. This does not include a monetary fine or locking people out of the system.
1: Th- that and, quote, I don't even know if, if, if EY is toying themselves on that quote. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, they, they
0: probably think they're – some PR person probably thinks they're being clever there, right? But like – you're associating your culture with people and submitting timesheets on time. That's how you're defining culture at your accounting firm. They understand oh, the importance. God. Oh, God. Well, and here's what's really bad about this. Like, So I was curious, uh, what other you know bad stories have come out about KPMG since the Carillion fallout? And there was another one uh, not too long ago, uh, December 5th. This is in The Guardian saying, KPMG partners receive bumper payouts despite Carillion fallout. Apparently, profits have jumped eighteen percent since this happened. Since they they gave Carillion a clean bill of health and it fell apart, the three hundred, uh, sorry, six hundred thirty five partners that work at KPMG in the UK make an average of six hundred thousand pounds per year, and that's up last year. They made five hundred nineteen thousand. So not only are they failing in their duty to be auditors. They are penalizing their staff, 100 pounds per late timesheet, and they themselves are making you know, 18% more money this year. It's kind of hard to imagine them being like bigger jerks.
1: Are, are, you know, they were talking about the, the banks, right? That too big to fail mindset yeah, of no. the mortgage crisis of 2008. Do you think we're kind of in that gray area now with the big accounting firms? Well, that's the thing. And and that's exactly the terminology that has been used to talk
0: about the big four in the UK by UK politicians, critics over the last year. There is actually a proposal. Well, it's a report that was commissioned by the labor government. The shadow chancellor, John McDonnell, commissioned a report on the big four firms from a guy whose name is Prem Sika. He's a professor of accounting at Sheffield University. And the report is just devastating. And it calls for the breakup of the big four. And apparently, the labor government is drafting legislation that would break them up, basically require any firms that do audit to only do audit and not do other consulting services to guarantee and protect their independence. Additionally, the big four would have to rotate all audit firms that have to rotate every 5 years which is a lot stricter than the EU regulations or uh, especially here in the United States where you you actually never have to change firms which is why yeah. is it KPMG has been auditing in the US G, uh, GE for like 109 years and of course people are not very happy about how GE is doing and there have been a number of uh, unexpected charges they've had to to make on their financials so Things are not 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 going so great for them right now,
1: and but this is not just a UK thing as well. I think no, the yeah. big four, like we're seeing the same. I, I think a couple of weeks ago there was an article circulating about about kind of the ethics of auditing, like yeah, like, and, and how it's unethical and and really I think the, the this article does touch on that whole concept, which seems insane to me. You know, hey, you can audit them, but you can also be the consultant to them at the same time.
0: Well, and that's the problem. First. Just the fact that, as an auditor, you are selected and paid by your client uh no amount of professional skepticism and in like can 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 make you independent in that situation. You have a customer, and so that's a problem in and of itself. I mean, maybe that can be ameliorated or or dealt with in some way, but with, you know, with ethics training and with the proper safeguards. But the big problem is that these audit firms are doing a lot of non-audit work for these clients. So there's an incentive to have a good audit because you don't want to lose the client. And that's a huge problem. Um, we actually, our CEO, Mike, here at Flowcast, he wrote an article in Forbes. I'll link to it in the show notes, calling out this, this independence issue. And um, we were, you know, really inspired by guys like uh, Ron Baker, who say that because of the financial relationship, it is not possible to be an independent auditor in a lot of situations. We really need to do something about this if we want to have truly independent audits that mean something.
1: I think this is a story that's going to continue for maybe in 2019. This is going to be a lot of it's it's like a a flywheel and it's just getting faster and faster and faster right now. This break up the big four, break up the big four. Yeah. I think it's going to, we're, we're, we're probably going to see something happen here. E- either a, another collapse, right. Or there's <laughs> going to be some, and chances are probably a collapse will happen before. Yeah. Any, I mean, it's inevitable. And yeah. you
0: know, KPMG has being just unlucky, I think in this situation, but I bet you that the same problems exist at all the other, you know, the other three, big four, and, um, something will, will happen and there'll be another huge scandal. And, uh, that will finally perhaps drive reform, which needs to happen. And I don't know. It. What do our listeners think? Do you think that the big four will ever be broken up? Do you think that audit in the UK will be able to become independent if they pass the right legislation? I'd love to hear your take. I have never done audit myself, so I'm looking in as an outsider, and I would love to know what you think.
1: I'm sure the root cause of all these problems are timesheets. So.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Right now timesheets, you know, probably we, we really, we'd have it's to do a study time sheet to find mindset. Out. Right? Yeah. It's just people hate filling out timesheets so much that, that it just impacts all the other work that they do.
1: Well, I think it's a, it, but it's so important. I mean, I'm not important. Um, it's not important, but the, in these cultures and organizations, it's, it dictates everything, the billable yeah. time. And, and so if, if the timesheets dictating everything, Of course, it's impacting all the other decisions they make. Yeah, I I can't wait to actually... I'm looking forward to trying to listen to uh, Ron Baker and Ed Class's podcast where they will, I'm sure, go off on this article. I hope so. (laughs) So I'm definitely... If they're listening, I'm looking forward to that. Um, What else happened this week, Blake?
0: There was some uh, tech news, some fundraising news. A company called Flux raised $7.5 million in a Series A to bring its digital receipts platform to more banks and merchants. This is a story that appeared in TechCrunch, also London London based company. Uh, they have a, a, what Flux is, is a technology platform for banks and merchants to power itemized digital receipts. So, in a nutshell, the idea is that when you go to a store and you buy something on their point of sale, you get an itemized receipt printed out. But that, that information on the itemized receipt doesn't appear on your bank statement. All you get on your bank statement is the amount, vendor name some gobbledygook usually that goes along with that. And the, uh, did I say date and amount? Well, the idea with Flux, what they want to do is they actually want to take that itemized receipt and attach it on your bank statement. So they are working with banks to link point-of-sale systems and get that detailed purchase information into your online banking feed, which... Yeah.
1: They're totally attacking this differently from everybody else. Right? Yeah. Everybody else is like, oh, we'll take a future receipt. you have a, you have an app in your pocket. You know, this instantaneous as soon as you – it's geocached and geofenced. And second you walk out of that restaurant or that merchant, the receipt will be on your phone. And then you could categorize it. And then it'll go into the accounting system. And then the online bank will have to match it up. And they're attacking it. Like, why don't we just make the bank smarter?
0: Yeah, it makes so much sense. Like, scanning – taking a picture of a piece of paper shouldn't have to happen at all like this is way this is way better this is going to the root of the problem so i'm excited to see what they do the only problem they have is it's a bit of a chicken and egg uh situation as as is as it's mentioned in this article you know how does flux get banks to buy into this if they don't have merchants who are point of sale systems that are connected to flux and then how does flux get point of sale systems to connect and pay if the banks aren't already interested so yeah
1: They might have to work backwards and launch really like in uh, Australia, because like I think Australia's got six banks, Mm -hmm. right? And it's just the the ability to implement an across the board, across industry solution like this probably simple and simpler in Australia, right? So until we see it really implemented, it's gonna be it could be uh, a while. It would be so cool
0: to imagine like you're using QuickBooks online or using Zero and on your bank feed instead of just one transaction coming through for the whole purchase you get the total amount, and then you get all of the individual items automatically. And then the, the AI in those platforms can code that, depending on what it is you purchased. I mean, that would take so much of the work out of bookkeeping.
1: Just be and fantastic. A- and, and, and in theory, QuickBooks and Zero could handle this if the bank sent the data. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if right, it was in the
0: bank feed. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, was just, I actually got a discussion earlier today about this that with checks. Checks are digital, right? They've been digital for a decade here. Yeah, And the only thing you ever get in your feed is the check number, the amount, and the date, which t- which really starts to make me suspect that even in a paper bank statement, you don't even get the payee from the check, which tells me the banks may not be scanning that or storing it anywhere. Because if they were, one bank somewhere would put that on a bank statement, even on accident, right?
0: No, yeah, so not. so
1: the banks aren't even storing this information. They don't have the information to give to accounting systems. Yeah. So it'll be. We'll have to watch this one. It's an interesting play.
0: I think I think it would be a very very powerful tool. Very valuable. So, speaking of tech in the payments and banking and fintech world, you've got a couple of stories about that.
1: Yeah, I think we've been talking about banks, like, like into it's becoming a bank, and these other, um, like I always think Starbucks could become a bank, Apple could become a bank. Well, Square, everybody's familiar Square for your point of uh, the swipe point of sale. Everybody's interacted with a Square terminal by now. Um, Square is actually officially applied to become a bank. Wow. Uh, they they have a new venture called Square Financial Services, and they actually want to become a true bank and basically cut all the banks out of the play. So,
0: like, what would that like? Would they have branches, or would it be a virtual bank? Or, are there any details on this? I'm really curious.
1: Um, it says there won't be any any brick and mortar branches. Got it. You open your Square account. You accept payments. Your money's in your Square bank account. Square's now on payroll. You pay your employees right. from your Square account. You now use your Square account. I mean, the next step is Square bill payment B two B bill payments. I've not seen that yet, but I'm sure it's on a whiteboard somewhere at Square. Like it makes so much sense. Yeah. That's the next thing. It's not just talk about becoming a bank. like They're actually taking the steps and going through the approval process to become well, a they're bank. They're
0: already lending billions of dollars, which is like the primary function of a bank other than helping you store and transmit cash, right? So I don't see this being like a big – I mean, other than getting licensed, I think this is very natural. It makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. The, the regulations and,
0: um, I'm sure there's a ton of regulation they got to deal stuff with stuff that's in the way. Yeah. 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 Well, that's awesome.
1: But, with the, uh, it's, it's coming. And then I think the other trend, I think we've talked about the last couple of weeks, uh, not just doing you know, banks is instant payroll, like getting rid of this waiting two weeks to get paid. And so a couple of things happened. It's all in the same article. This is actually on uh, payments.com, but it's a payroll related. Um, so the, title of the article is Real-Time Payments, Gathering Steam for mm-hmm. Workers. Um, started out Earning, E-A-R-I-N. They basically, it's almost like payday loans, but it's same day or next day payroll. So you can connect um, Earning to, let's say I work for Walmart. Mm-hmm. I can connect Earning to my Walmart timesheets. And then every day I work at Walmart, Earning will put money in my bank account for my paycheck.
0: Okay, so I, I clock in so in, in the morning, I clock out in the evening, and I get paid immediately.
1: I don't think it's real real time, but it's maybe the next morning. That's it's very. Close but I'm getting to real time. I'm
0: getting a daily deposit now for the work that I did instead of having to wait two weeks.
1: Yeah, and it's just not this startup. Um, Paychex is now integrating with QuickBooks Online to get data moved mm-hmm. faster and get to real time. And then uh, the Gusto CEO, Josh Reeves, he has a quote, which is kind of interesting, and I'll read this uh, straight, cold read here, so let me not stumble on it. Uh, quote, unquote, we should look back at a time in a day when you had to wait weeks to get paid after you've done your work. And the same way we look back when we use typewriters instead of using a computer, that's where we're headed. We are headed to same day pay. It makes
0: so much sense. There is really no reason these days with the automation that we have that we need to batch up days and hours that we have worked into two-week periods or bi-monthly periods. Why not just pay everybody out every day? When I had my own firm, I paid everybody weekly when I started. Some people asked me why, my partner said, why are we doing this? It, it's more work. And I said, actually, no, it's really the same amount of work because I've got to go and approve the timesheets anyway. So I'm just reviewing them more frequently but it's better for the employees because they're getting paid sooner and so they're not having to borrow money, right, if they if they are living paycheck to paycheck, which unfortunately a ton of people do in this country. Uh, and I imagine that I was employing bookkeepers. A number of them could have been living paycheck to paycheck. It's not like they're going to tell me. So by doing this, I, I'm making life better for them. And I am improving my own cash flow as a business because now I've got it going out weekly instead of bi-weekly. And, and when you're a new business, it's really helpful to not have liabilities sitting on your books, right? You want to just pay those out quickly uh, be, so you don't get in
1: trouble. It's going to be interesting how this impacts the economy on the whole, because the people, this is technology and it, that's going to actually aff- truly affect people's lives right? So for sure, the payday loan industry is probably I, yeah, and They're probably even trying to get regulation payday to Payday loans are, are awful, um, and
0: we should be doing everything we can to get rid of them because they don't add to the economy, right? They're just sucking money out uh, from workers who really need it most of all, hourly workers. And in this article here at the bottom, there's a stat here that says Americans spend about $9 billion annually on interest from payday loans, and credit card debt has neared $1 trillion. So employers, by yeah, by paying people out more frequently, could really help this.
1: It'll, it's going to affect payday loans for sure. It might affect credit card debt in the short term. The real interesting thing is like, how is this going to really affect people's behaviors? And then a good observation or, or, or example of this is when I uh, created View My Paycheck back in the day. So it let, it let people get online and see their pay stubs. And normally, people would get their pay stub on fr- Paycheck on Friday, they check their pay stub on Friday. Well, we set it up to where the pay stubs people could view their pay stub before they got paid. So what happens? All the site traffic shifted from a Friday to a Wednesday. Their behaviors completely changed because they're starting to plan around their paycheck for the end of the week. So it'd be interesting if people are starting to get paid every single day, like how it ripples through the rest of the economy. Yeah it's going to be, it's because their behaviors are going to change. Like, are people going to accidentally go to dinner every night and then not have enough money still at the end of the week to pay their bills? And then they have to get a new payday loan. Like, I don't know, Like, but this is, this is going to have a direct impact on millions of people in this country. Yeah, that's great.
0: Well, a positive impact of technology on, on, on not just the elites and not just the people who are tech savvy and right. And professionals and whatnot. I mean, we don't, it's great for us, but we don't. It's not going to change our our lives from that standpoint. But this like will really help those hourly workers. I like that.
1: Yeah, this is this is this is a uh, game changing like from a what we do matters type perspective. Yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah. What else do we got this new?
1: We could keep talking about work. I mean, we we're talking about next day pay. I think you have an article about working six hours a day, right?
0: Yeah, I like this one a lot. Let me pull this up here. So I've been saving this one for a good time to share because it's. <laughs> When is this dated? When is this dated? This, this article appeared on December 11th in Harvard, oh, it's Harvard Business Review, so you know it's serious, okay? And the headline just makes me smile every time I read it. It's called The Case for the Six-Hour Workday. Who doesn't want to work six hours? And if you think about it, why do we work eight hours? Why is that the default? It wasn't always that way. In 1900... Most people worked way more than 40 hours a week. It was only when in our somewhat socialist uh, tendencies in the early 20th century, when we passed all of these workers' rights acts and limits on uh, regular hours and overtime and all that stuff. We didn't have that before. We passed all the legislation. That's when the 40-hour work week basically became a thing in like, I think it was in the 30s, right? And we you know, we had all those laws that prevented six-year-olds from working in coal mines and stuff like that. Yeah, it was the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938 when we got these these rules. So that's when the 40-hour workweek got implemented. And it's time to step back and ask ourselves, why do we even need a 40-hour week? With technology, maybe we don't need it. Maybe we can go quicker than that. Uh, and so this article... features a guy named Adam Grant. He's an organizational psychologist and the New York Times bestselling author of originals, How Nonconformists Move the World. And he says that the more complex and creative jobs are, the less it makes sense to pay attention to hours at all. And he questions why the eight-hour workday still reigns supreme. He says, quote,
1: because companies bill for time.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, the uh, accounting firms, a lot of accounting firms do, right? And of course, if they cut their hours to six, uh, then it would be a problem. Um, but I mean, you know, like what about, what about companies that don't have timesheets, right? Why do we still work from, you know, eight until five? Why is that? Why do we come into the office and have that schedule? Because we've always done it that way because it's hard to imagine doing it any other way. And this guy, Adam Grant, he says that like most humans, leaders are remarkably good at anchoring on the past, even when it's irrelevant to the present. So to summarize this, I'm going to do my best. The argument is that in a modern office where you do knowledge work, so you're a professional, you work for a tech company, you're a white-collar worker, you come in and you think about things, and you, maybe you work on a computer all day long, that the, the modern office environment of you know, 9 to 5, 8 to 5, or whatever it is, is not productive. It's not designed to help you in what you do. That was designed for an era of tasks. When you came in and you sat at your desk and you performed a bunch of tasks that were always the same... Uh, it was important that you'd be there and that you'd be working on a set time, that sort of thing. Uh, he says that that totally fails when it comes to knowledge work because workers are constantly being distracted. They are spending up to six hours per day on email. The average employee checks email 74 times per day and people are touching their smartphones 2,617 times per day. Basically, employees are in a constant state of distraction and hyper-responsiveness. So they're, they're sitting at their desks all day. They're in the office, so they're doing meetings, and they're not actually getting a lot of work done. The article cites Jason Fried. He's the co-founder of Basecamp. Highly recommend you check out the Basecamp blog. He's the author of a book called It Doesn't Have to be Crazy at Work, which also fights this concept of the traditional workday with lots and lots of meetings. Basically, people waste a lot of time at work. That's the takeaway from this article. And the idea is if you get rid of a lot of that stuff, which includes unnecessary meetings, unplanned interruptions, tons and tons of unnecessary email, unnecessary traveling, distractions in the office. If you got rid of that and let people focus on their work in uninterrupted blocks, they could do the same amount of work in six hours versus eight.
1: I think I think most people do six hours or forty hours a week and six hours once a week. <laughs> like the rest of the week you just wasted yeah. off. Um but I have two kind of thoughts on this. A, I think some of the genesis too is people like things to be nice and boxed out. You sleep for eight hours, you work for eight hours, you do something else for eight hours. You know, that's kind of where I think a lot of this is like a human thing of us trying to have some sort of mapped out balance to our lives. And that probably drives a lot of this. But the interesting thing, I think, where this ties into your article, it was last week or the week before about the universal basic income. In theory, as more things get automated, maybe instead of letting some people work and some people not work, how about everybody just work a little less? And, and you spread this automation and robotic gains that we're going to have that are going to take everybody's jobs. You spread that across to everybody and everybody gets to that. A six-hour workday.
0: Here's the thing is, I think we actually could. I think we could all work six hours a day and get the same amount of work done if we just worked. Disclaimer, I'm not talking about traditional jobs that are like hourly in nature that are task-based. I'm talking about jobs that are professional jobs, right? Uh, the kind where you're a knowledge worker. Just from my own experience, having uh, been a musician, this is a great example. All right, at least I hope it is, David. So hear me out on this one. So when I was studying music, There was always a question, like, how much should you practice every day? The idea is uh, you want to practice as much as you can to become really good, but you don't want to overdo it, just like with sports. And some people would try to practice all day long, try to practice eight hours a day, 10 hours, 12 hours, like, I'll do whatever it takes. But these people, in my own experience, uh, did not get any better. In fact, probably did worse than folks who practiced less. But the people who are practicing less, like four to six hours a day, we're doing it in a super focused way. So that means you go into the practice room and you really think about what you're going to do. And then you practice in a focused way on specific challenges you're having. You're really thinking it through. You're being intelligent about it. That is 10 times more productive than if you just go into a practice room and don't think and just mindlessly play through your pieces. This to me is the same thing, right? Most of the time we're just going into our offices and we're kind of mindlessly working. We're not consciously thinking about what we're doing, what's really going to make a difference in the business. Because not all work is equal, right? There's that whole uh, Pareto principle, which is that 20% of the work you do produces 80% of the results. If you think consciously and you go into your office and you you spend four hours doing really impactful work, then you've just beat out everybody who just went in and spent eight hours doing uh, kind of meaningless work. Kind of just going off on a right hey. here, but... It's, it's, if it works in music and in sports where you can't do eight hours a day, it's just not even possible because of the physical demands. I think it should work with our brains too. Our brains are muscles. You can't use your brain for eight hours straight every day.
1: Yeah. And I think the other argument in this article is there's just a lot of inefficiency things that happen at work. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it happens worse with knowledge workers. Because if I was building a bridge and I had a team of 100 construction workers and I wasted 60, 70% of their day bringing them into meetings, yapping them up, they're yapping hey, check an email, blah, 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 that bridge will never get built. Like nothing will actually get produced. So yeah. this it, it, it's just like we're broken in the knowledge worker economy somehow, yeah. I think.
0: Well, and, and here's the great takeaway at the end. Quote, organizations are spending big money on digital transformation, but they could reap an immediate, far more cost-effective transformational benefit just by changing the way they work instead of what they use to work. Now, point taken. as a tech guy, I do think it is important to do the digital transformation because does give you so many more efficiencies to be working in the cloud versus on paper but here's what i will agree with if you do the digital transformation just change the tools without changing the method of work the way you work then you won't see any benefit you'll still be in those pointless meetings even if those meetings are on zoom video chat right you'll still be wasting time on slack if you know versus email if you don't change how you are Doing work together, right? Like so, yes. the 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 way you work is more important than the tools in the end. And, and this is why Definitely. this is why timesheets are awful because they prevent you from making any of this change. Because, like, if you if you're responsible for a certain amount of billings, you you can't become more more efficient. If you do, you reduce your billings. It's just it's so stupid.
1: I mean, you're, you're, you're summarizing it, right? Like you're trying to give the whole podcast from the, the timesheet story to this, like it, it you've oh, wow. perfectly. Oh, wow. We did. Uh, I love one it. suggestion I would have is like people could just get their laptop and work to your battery goes dead, which mine is now at, um, you know, I'm pushing 24, uh, 24 minutes left out of the, the <laughs> the, the, I can crash at any time here So we probably should wind up soon So I am running out of juice I think we could do one more story If you have something you really, really love No, you know what?
0: This was good And we did book We did We came full circle So let's cut it here And save everything For our uh, Christmas week episode Our holiday episode next week
1: Yeah, dude, I, hopefully We're hoping everybody That we have a theme next week Maybe like there, There's a lot of blog posts There's a lot of things out there Like the 2018 Blah, blah, blah Trends for 2019. So I think we're going to try and find a lot of those articles that are like that and chat them up. Yeah. So if you have an article, you're like, hey, I saw the 2019 Guide to Instagram followers. Like anything you see like that, send to us and we'll try to talk about it next time. That
0: week. sounds great. And if you are an auditor and you have an opinion on the possible breakup of the big four in the UK or independence issues Anywhere, including in the United States, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. What about you, David?
1: I'm don't contact me if you're an <laughs> auditor, but I'm at David Leary on Twitter.
0: Well, and if you if you have opinions about timesheets, I think David would be interested in hearing those too, right? If you are a defender of the timesheet, or or perhaps you know, maybe I've gone too far with this six-hour workday. I know there are people who. We think timesheets are stupid, but they can't imagine working less than 40 hours a week. I want to hear from you. I want to know your thoughts. I'm sure David would appreciate it too. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn as well. David, this was a real pleasure as always. I look forward to chatting with you on the next episode.
1: See you later, everybody. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.